What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 66. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? So the rumors of my punt from the past week have been greatly exaggerated. And I feel like this is coming to define me. This is not who I am. Uh, this is this is not who I am. Uh, just because I made a crucial punt during game one of, uh, of a tournament and then subsequently made several more punts while playing Magic this week alone. I mean, should I change my name to like Punt Fish or something? <laughs> more like Alpha Fish. <laughs> oh, um, wait, isn't that, a, isn't that a better thing? No, well, isn't Alpha builds of software come out before the beta. They always have more bugs. Oh, Nah, no, that, I don't know about that one. <laughs> All right, well, whatever, whatever. We're doing Midnight Hunt first impressions this week, and uh, we, we've got some impressions. We've got some potential hot takes uh, and then some not-so-hot takes. Uh, the community seems pretty organized about its feelings about a certain deck in particular and uh, a handful of cards within that deck. But before we get to that, what's up with the Discord? Yeah, so our usual housekeeping here, we do have a Discord server. It's completely free, so jump into that if you're interested in chatting with the rest of the community here and uh, us as well. Uh, we're, we're pretty active on there when we can be, and um, it's just a great place to be to talk all things Midnight Hunt as well as any other formats. We have channels for just about everything, so check that out. Also, if you're interested in supporting the show, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. This is the only sponsor of the show, really, so it keeps us doing this week in and week out. We really, really appreciate all those who uh, are supporting us on our Patreon. We did add recently the Draft Doctor perk to our Squadron Hawk tier over on Patreon. You can send us your mid-drafts or any any drafts, really, but now that we're in the Midnight Hunt, uh, we'd love to see some of those, and we'll go through them in a video and put them on YouTube as kind of us walking through the draft, giving our two cents on how the draft went, and then the final deck build and things like that, so... Check that out. Our first one is done recording, working on the edits, and it'll be up shortly. So good stuff. And uh, yeah, we hope to see more of those over there. Again, that's at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. All right, on to our cracker draft type thing. And this week, it actually comes from me. Usually Ben takes care of these, but this time I had one for one of my first Midnight Hunt drafts that, well, I was a little surprised. And the reason I was surprised is that this is a pack three pick two. You don't typically have too many contentious picks by pack three, you're kind of, you know, your deck's pretty much locked in and you're just waiting for a couple of things here. But let's walk through the deck that I have at the moment and then I'll, sh I'll walk through the pack and we can kind of go through that. So we are in a blue-red shell. We've got a Delver of Secrets, a couple of Considers. We've got actually three Considers. Wow. A couple Bait Hook Anglers, a couple Festival Crashers, an Arcane Infusion, a Geist Flame Reservoir, a Poppet Stitcher, the mythic flip card that turns into a, a thing that turns all of your tokens into three threes uh we also have a falcon abomination a couple of organ hoarders and uh, a couple of revenge of the drowns a devious cover-up and a seize the storm now one thing i didn't notice until i played the deck is that seize the storm and poppet stitcher don't actually pair well together because poppet <laughs> the poppet factory side of poppet stitcher turns all of your storm elementals into uh three threes and they don't get any bigger but it's basically a spell slinger deck a blue red spell slinger slinger deck so into pack three, pick two here, we have... The, I'm just going to name the cards that are in the runnings for picks here. We have a flip the switch as a common. That's pretty much the only common we're interested in. And then, uh, oh, we also have an ardent elementalist in this pack. So a couple of solid commons here for us. And then we see a spell rune painter in the uncommon slot, as well as a thermo alchemist. And then mm. our rare is Vadric Astral Archmage. And Vadric is one red-blue for a 1-2 legendary creature human wizard at rare. If it's neither night nor day, it becomes day as Vadric enters the battlefield, and instant sorcery spells cost X less to cast, where X is Vadric's power, and whenever day becomes night or night becomes day, you put a plus one, plus one counter on Vadric. So it's a weird card for the usual Spellslinger decks, because it wants you to be, do the day-night switch, but it's hard to do mm. in those decks. Well, I guess it's not actually, because a lot of, you have a lot of instants, so it kind of fits pretty well into that deck, uh, now that I'm like kind of saying that out loud, but anyway... 
the pick for me was between Thermo Alchemist and Vadric, and we were coming off of. I think this was actually just before pre-release, so I, I didn't. We didn't have all the fun with Thermo Alchemist yet in our belts, but <laughs> I was between Vadric and Thermo Alchemist here. What do you think about this pack, Ben? Yeah, this is quite the crack a draft type thing, isn't it? Uh, you're right. I don't know if we've ever had a pack three, pick two before. So, given the contents of your current deck, clearly a spellslinger type thing, right? You're going to be casting considers on end step or maybe even mid-turn or something to try to dig through your deck. You can find your key cards pretty easily. That's a lot of card selection. And it sounded like you had some larger top-end spells. The thing with Vadric, I'm not totally sold on this. This is three mana for a 1-2 that doesn't really do anything else right away. And you really need multiple larger mana value spells to really get paid off for this. You want to be casting a five drop on turn four. Now, by turn four, if you're playing like a what is it, Seize the Storm, is that mm-hmm. the uh, uh, the five mana one? I mean, are you, are you playing other, like too many other instants and sorceries before turn, <laughs> turn four? Uh, maybe you could consider turn one and a spell turn two. There's not that many spells when it turn two, though. So it's tough for Vadric to, to get too good. I could see this. You know where Vadric would have been just right, perfectly at home at Prismari. Like this yeah. is just. Uh, th- this looks a lot like the little owl mage that that did all sorts of nonsense. And this one even is a strictly better version because it can get stronger. That being said, looking at some of these other cards, there's Spellrun Painter, which I've actually loved in aggressive decks. Uh, it, it pairs very well with combat tricks, especially ones that that can buff power. Because this thing on the backside. Uh, that ability to buff itself. I've had this thing attack with seven power before without a combat trick on it. And, you know, th- th- this thing can just get huge. Yeah. Thermo Alchemist seems to pair pretty well with your deck. You said you had three considers and a bunch of other cheap instants and sorceries, right? Yeah, it looks... Well, uh, the considers are kind of the the cheap, obviously the cheapest ones that I have. And then I have um, an Electric Revelation, which is the uh, three mana discard a card, draw two cards with flashback. And an arcane infusion, which is two mana, and then a startle as well. Mm-hmm. The rest so, are a little more expensive. Given the card quality and the specific instance and sorceries you have, I'm a little lower on the ardent elementalist. I find this one to be right. really good when you have a specific thing you want to get back for sure. Obviously, pairs very well with removal spells, uh, and then I found it pairs pretty well with like high value pump spells too. Like weirdly enough, th- I actually did use one copy of this in an aggro deck where I just. I just wanted to get back pump spells. I think that the spell rune painter also lends itself better to aggro, and you have to be in a very specific type of aggressive deck to play it. I think the pick here is between Alchemist, Thermo Alchemist, that is, and Vadric. And I think, given that it was like one of the first drafts of the format, I think it was right to take Vadric in the first few drafts of the format. You want to just get the experience with the rares, right? And that was exactly my thinking. Yeah, I think, I think the actual correct pick is Thermo Alchemist. I think it's just doing way more for this deck than Vadric is, especially given that like there aren't a ton of more expensive spells. It, it does, it does cheapen a handful of spells in the deck even without pumping it. But I think Thermo Alchemist would have won me more games just by itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that was my thought. I was like, oh, I just want to play with this rare. <laughs> and oftentimes in the beginning of the format, I'll do the same thing. That's exactly what you want to do. Uh, what better way to test a hypothesis about whether or not this card is good or not than to just play with the card? All right, on to our Teferi Tibble, and this is our segment where we talk about a high and a low from the past week. Ben, how'd your week go? I'd say pretty good. One of the highlights was certainly the pre-release, which Zach and I actually got to play in a two-headed giant pre-release at uh, Bearded Dragon Games and Comics in New Jersey. So if any listeners ever happen to stop by there for a pre-release, come take us on. Uh, it's a good time. If you beat us, I don't know, we'll give you a high five and flame you in the Discord for a little while. <laughs> but uh, we we had some really good times there might have been a punt involved Uh, i don't really know for sure about what happened there but we had a pretty solid pull we actually pulled what i think is the the number one most valuable card in the set which is the alternate art foil renin 7 yeah yeah it's like we we opened it because we actually opened a renin 7 in the pool that was just like a normal treatment renin 7 and then in our prize packs we opened the fancy one and we were like, oh, you know, that's cool. It's probably like, it's, it's got to be like a decently valued card, but it didn't seem like anything in the set was super valuable. And then we, we looked it up and it's a valuable card. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll put this as like a nice, uh, nice centerpiece on my table. <laughs> Check Twitter for a fun picture for that. 
Anyway, my tipple this past week, I would say school's in full swing. I'm back in lesson planning mode. I've been doing this thing where uh, some students, as you can imagine, uh, are getting COVID. Womp womp. We knew it was going to happen. Uh, shocking. Uh, or in some cases, their family is getting COVID. So what's happening is that some students have to end up taking school virtually after all. Not too many, but a handful. And they, of course, need people to teach them. So there's a program in my school where teachers can stay after for an hour and uh, just kind of review with students that um, you know, were, were virtual that day to make sure they, they got everything that they needed. And while it's an extra hour after school, so I end up not getting home until like, I don't know, what, like uh, four, a little after four, uh, which is kind of brutal. Se seven to then is, is rough when it's an intense job like teaching. But we're paid pretty highly for it. So uh, it actually has been worth it. That just means a little less time, however. And that's thrown off. I've been trying to, to get back in a regular workout routine. But that throws that off because some days I'm staying after now. It pushed the podcast recording back a little bit, as you know. So uh, it's, it's rife with downsides. But uh, I also got some cash that I can probably, you know, dump into a modern deck or something this is how i'm gonna this is how i'm gonna afford the rest of Stoneblade. i, I mean to, to put it approximately uh each time i do this i'm buying myself uh i guess around the stoneforge mystic in value so <laughs> I, i'd call that a pretty solid day's work and then also another little tibble is that i might have punted during the uh the pre-release but we're not gonna talk about that right oh i'm talking about that <laughs> okay okay let, let, let's hear your side of the story all right, so, well, first, my Teferi is that, yes, the pre-release was absolute gas. Two-Headed Giant something special for Ben and I. That's, like, our favorite our favorite format, sealed Two-Headed Giant, and it's kind of the, the biggest MTG pastime that the two of us share, so it's always a good time to get out and do a Two-Headed Giant pre-release. And we've had a bit of a string of heaters lately in terms of what our pool looks like, and this time was no exception because we opened just about every possible copy of Black Removal you can find. We had like two Eaten Alives, we had a bunch of foul plays, multiple defenestrates. So it was pretty solid. It was actually one of those situations, though, where we... And we also opened like a million blue-white mythics and rares and stuff, yeah. so it was like... <laughs> One of those situations where we kind of felt like at first we felt we needed to play blue black and splash white because we opened Teferi and we opened uh, Denik, I think, the, the one of the other blue white rares. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, well, then Ben's kind of playing this goofy red green deck and it didn't actually like we didn't open really anything besides the Renin 7 in, in green and red to make that deck really pop. So we're like, all right, let's find a way to, to give Ben black and let me play with the, the fun blue cards. Because my uh, my pre-release promo was the, the blue mythic curse, the one that mm -hmm. like draws you cards when your opponent does things. So we gave Ben black and we actually ended up with a sick black red spell slinger deck that was way oh, more yeah. exciting than I actually thought it could be. Uh, it used an, a thermal alchemist and just a ton of removal and like value cards. It also had Jadar and Jaren in it. And like it was, <laughs> we had a busted pool. Let's just put it that way. The weirdest thing was we did build blue black first. Yeah, right? there was that we had the blue black uncommons too, and we built it first. And then while making cuts, we realized that like we probably could have made two playable blue black decks, right? <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I think the final number was when we had the deck laid out and we were like, okay, now we need to start cutting cards. We needed to cut fourteen cards. And that wasn't just the good, like, that wasn't all the blue-black cards. We put down the yeah. good blue and black cards. Yeah. And if that's not a big signifier as to what this format is all about, I don't know what it is. <laughs> right, yeah. So, but I was actually pretty happy that we split it up. We ended up going probably what would have been a perfect run. Okay. Um, but <laughs> we, we played against our first round. There it is. Um, against... Uh, a set of opponents who had pretty solid decks. I think they, they didn't have nothing. Like, they, they had pretty good stuff. They did have us on the ropes. It was a relatively close game through and through. Um, and we got to a turn where Ben and I were discussing whether or not we had lethal. And we both did the math. We both realized that we had lethal. They It was our, our opponent's turn. They passed back to us. We said something to each other, and I don't remember what it was. But Wait, whatever it was... Context. context. The lethal involved... Um, I was, was yeah, I was called? getting to that. Ice? Yeah. Geist Flame, what's Geist Flame Reservoir, yeah. Geist Flame Reservoir. Okay, so I had a Geist Flame Reservoir with two charge counters on it. Now that thing you can tap to exile a card from the top of your library and play it that turn, or tap to deal that much damage to any target. What we had discussed was if I use that on our opponents, that would be exactly lethal given their board. However, the person on the right 
I remember they, they were playing red-green. They passed with three cards in hand and all their mana open. Back to you. Right. So, yes, thank you for setting up the context. It passed our turn. Something happened where the two of us exchanged words, and I genuinely don't remember what we said to each other, but something <laughs> something was said to each other where we just thought that it was fine to tap the guy's Flame Reservoir to play the card before combat. So Ben did that, and then we swung, and they had exactly two life left. And we were like, wait, we, we had lethal this turn. What what happened? And then the the trick was we needed to leave the guy's Flame Reservoir up until after combat, so if they did have a trick or something, we didn't waste it on the damage ahead of time. But somehow no, they ended did. up activating it beforehand. They did have the one removal spell. They had the five mana uh, deal two to the deal five uh, or four, whatever, and two to the controller. And they did have that. And I did account for one removal spell in the math. I remember thinking like they could have one spell. They could have two spells. Methos here. This is late game. They had a million lands. So we did account for one spell, and we we had lethal even with that. I accounted for them killing our largest attacker. So I, I think maybe we were thinking like, oh well, if they have nothing, they're dead anyway. Yeah, we might so have it, like it might be okay. Yeah, we might have accidentally missed the math or whatever. And then I also started to think like after it happened, I was like, well, that's fine. I mean, we weren't dead on the crackback. It was not really a precarious, a super precarious situation for us at that point. Like we had some life to give. So I was like, okay, it was a mistake sure whatever we'll just win on the next turn and then they top deck the meat hook massacre and we lost basically <laughs> on this spot <laughs> they they went meat hook massacre kills everything it dealt like what like four to us and then like they gained like six life and yeah. then uh they followed up of course the intuitive giant wraths are amazing one player can wrath and the other player can dump their hand so i think the other guy he played like like two of the uh, the, the the two two wolf, yep. right? Just d- dumped his hands with a, a few wolves. Yeah, so. and then and then the other opponent who the per- the person who played the meat hook massacre actually had a copy of that two mana black enchantment that makes zombies anytime something died. So mm-hmm. they were killing their stuff, and then their zombies would die, and then they'd get a new zombie back, and it would just and we would get pinged every single time that happened. So yep. The life gain brought them well out of range of the Geist Flame Reservoir. And of, of, of course, we thought, like, what could go wrong, right? Like, what could they possibly have? I have found that there's actually a good amount of, you know, incidental life gain. That being said, the life gain from Meat Hook Massacre is, is probably some of the best in the set. So, man. But, yeah. but then again, that loss did catapult us into several straight victories after that. That's true. One of which was a better game where we we had to take down like a, a an Arlen cord and that one had some good back and forth. The other game, I think, was a bit of a blowout. Yeah, one might call it a massacre. <laughs> no meat hooks needed. No. So yeah, pre-release was awesome. Um, I also made some pretty decent progress at work this week. Uh, back on the Teferi train, I've mentioned that I've been a bit behind on this project I'm working on and uh, made some decent catch-up work. I'm not. Not quite there yet, but making making some progress. Wait. My tip this week is that I've got a lot to do in a whole bunch of different areas of, of life, I guess, and prioritizing has been difficult. Uh, so working through trying to really pick out what's more important to me than other things and uh, kind of comb through it that way, but it's been a little bit of a tough time prioritizing. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, unpacking all going well? Yeah, we're pretty much unpacked. Um, we have a new coffee table coming in to sometime this week and like a bookshelf for our bedroom or something like that. So those are like the last two furniture items. And then we do need to get a TV at some point. Uh, we don't have one of those. So mm-hmm. I just hope you're not finished unpacking before I am. I- I'm a, <laughs> a pretty slow unpacker. And from your perspective right now, it might not look like it. But if I moved over slightly, you'd be able to see a bunch of stuff on the floor that I still have to hang up. So... <laughs> Yeah, well, I do have a wife who is here most of the day who helps unpack while I'm working, so... Oh, isn't that convenient? All right, on to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Dorgan, and Dorgan asks, what draft set would you most like to see added to Arena? Ooh. Now, I guess in the spirit of the season, I would love to just have Innistrad, OG Innistrad, as, I guess, a, a flashback draft. Of course, it would have to be Phantom, Kind of again, fittingly enough, the cards wouldn't be added to historic. You wouldn't keep them. You wouldn't get wild cards or anything. It would just be you get to draft Innistrad, and that's it. I think that would be such a cool little surprise Halloween treat. And then if they want to keep the cards in to maybe toss a Lily of the Veil in the Arena Cube, that'd be pretty sweet too. Yeah, I think that's an interesting little piece. They've made the claim in the past that adding new sets is more or less trivial. 
like once the because of the way their card engine is generated i i don't know how true that is or how how true that was versus how true it is now um or if i'm just completely misremembering the article i read about that but because obviously that's that's one of the most important things from the back end side of arena right they need to be able to add cards relatively easily because they make they print so many new cards so it would be kind of interesting to see them just throw up old sets in in a draft format like that that's phantom that doesn't affect any of the constructed formats at all and just give people an interesting limited experience i don't expect that to happen anytime soon but that is an interesting you know little tidbit that would be kind of cool to see for me i would love to see cons of tarkir that was one of my favorite formats in draft and i would absolutely love to see that come back it's been a long time since we've had some of the og arena sets some of the ixalans they come back every once in a while but it's felt like a pretty long time since we've gotten one of those and honestly i would say a lot of the sets that we just never really got to play too much because we just weren't really playing digital magic then it'd be cool to go super deep on one of the old mirrodin sets or even an ancient set something one of the the first handful like alpha i mean again you wouldn't be able to put that into historic or anything else but i think that'd be cool and one last little runner up i think vintage cube I know we can also already draft that on Magic Online, but let's be honest. The worst part about drafting Vintage Cube is Magic Online. The interface sucks, and I have punted... Man, I guess that's just the theme of the episode, isn't it? I have punted in Vintage Cube because of the interface. Like, I I once botched Splinter Twin because I didn't set my stops right, and I forgot to... I wasn't able to correctly flash in my my Pester Mite or whatever. So, anyway, I think on Arena, uh, Vintage Cube would be a lot of fun, and it would look good. It would play great. And I mean, if you want to bring people to Arena from Magic Online, get some of the last uh, like diehard Moto fans. That's one way to do it. Yeah, they actually did just bring Cons of Tarkir back to Moto, uh, I think today or yesterday or something. So yeah, it would be cool to, to get a little more crossover between the two. It's it's a little weird that it's like two competing platforms almost from the same company. That, that doesn't feel awesome, but hey, that is what it is. On to our main topic. This week, we are talking Midnight Hunt first impressions. We're just going to go over our both of our first impressions of the new set here. Uh, now that we've had about a week to adjust to the format, we've done some pre-release, we've been drafting here and there, and uh, we're just going to kind of cover what we like, what we dislike, and everything in between. So, Ben, what do you think of the format overall so far? Well, uh, it's certainly a format. It's a sweet one, maybe a little bit imbalanced. I've been having a lot of fun exploring a lot of these neat little nifty archetypes that are peppered in here. It reminds me a little bit of Ikoria and that there are these kind of overlap decks that you can get. There's a lot of these good component cards with very strong overlapping synergy. A lot of these two, three, four card combinations that create a very cohesive deck. Uh, This is a way deeper format than AFR. I I found it a little bit more aggro-y or maybe swingy is a better word for it this isn't like a a blazing fast set but sometimes you wind up dead a little faster than you expect this is not the kind of set as we're kind of getting used to where you can do nothing turns one and two or and if you do nothing on turn three well that's game over Uh, i've had some really cool gameplay and i'm certainly not sick of this yet i'm a good number of drafts in and i'm excited to keep going how about you yeah so far it's been fun for me i think lack of balance has shifted my ability to kind of understand what makes other decks tick because I've been so focused on what makes blue black tick specifically and sometimes you'll even put together a deck that should probably be like you know maybe even the best version of some other archetype like green white or something and then you just play it against a medium or really or good blue black deck and it you just get outvalued or run over and you don't even get to realize like oh this was the good version of green white like I've had a hard time kind of putting together, yeah, this is the good version of this deck or this isn't, you know, these cards don't really work in this archetype because blue black's just a little too good. Wow, uh, hot takes from Draft Chaff boys here. Blue black, the best archetype. You've heard all the spikes say it. You're now hearing uh, the less than spikes say it. (laughs) Blue black is great. And I think there's a few reasons why. I think intrinsic card advantage is one of them. So many creatures in this format essentially draw you a card, right? Uh, All the things that can be disturbed, mostly concentrated in blue and white, which I think um, is also up there in in the top decks of the format. I've seen it do some pretty impressive stuff, but the removal in black is obviously just just nuts. So uh, I'll take the best blue-black deck over the best blue-white deck any day. 
but still, uh, I think a lot of this intrinsic card advantage that kind of just comes stapled to a lot of the cards. Like, I guess we used to joke about Sorolf's Packmate, but doesn't each color kind of have a Sorolf's Packmate in this set? Like, sort of. I bet we could name them if we wanted to. There's Ardent Elementalist in red. There's the uh, the white, what is it, Search Party Captain, ETB Draw a card, uh, cost less than 2-2. Two, two. Blue, obviously, Oregon Hoarder, which is just nuts. <laughs> that, Never that, heard that of That card is, uh, yeah, that, that card is just insane. Black, I guess at, at common, it's a little harder to say. Could it be Diagraph Horde? Maybe. There's the fact that it's a 5-drop uh, invalidated. I hope not, because getting those two, two, two zombie creatures, that's worth a card. Absolutely worth the card. I think Diagraph Horde coming with that thing stapled on. Oh, and it exiles stuff from graveyards, too. So those those flashback spells or disturb spells. See you later. And then, uh, did I miss anything? Oh, I missed green. <laughs> I don't know if green has a Sorol's Packmate this time around. I have not been super impressed with green. I think it's, it's fine. Uh, but I don't know. Some of my overall thoughts in the format, a lot of the green and red cards just don't provide as much intrinsic card advantage. Maybe Shadow Beast Sighting, uh, a 4-mana yeah. 4-4 four that draws you a 7-mana 4-4, four four, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's a little weird. It does seem like there's a lot of stuff that they pushed a little bit. And we're kind of getting ahead of our notes here, but I'm a little disappointed that red-green is so bad like <laughs> like this is the werewolf set how did you not balance for werewolf why is werewolves not the op deck if there's gonna be an op deck why is it not werewolves yeah yeah i guess it could have been pushed a little further i think red and green cards tend to just not have a lot of intrinsic card advantage to them green has in the past but in this specific set a lot of our big green stuff they're just beefy creatures like a was it the the big thing that flips into an eight seven with ward three some formats in in days gone by that's an almost unbeatable threat right like ward three on a massive creature that can be chump blocked but really is going to keep smashing in every turn in this format it just hasn't seen that impressive it's a little slow it can get flipped back on the other side there's tons of unconditional removal spells in white and black and blue actually has access to something we haven't seen in quite a while, which is good bounce spells. And yeah. we haven't really had this in a format for a while, but there's an unsummon effect at Uncommon. And there's a two-mana bounce spell as well that even has some upside bouncing stuff to your hand. Now, And I think this is one of the biggest indicators of a more tempo-y, aggressive-y format. I guess I didn't have to add the E's to the end. I could have just said tempo oriented and aggressive whatever you're not listening to this because of our grammar are you um i think uh the presence of these bounce spells suggest that tempo is a thing you can do you can go down a little bit of card advantage because you're making that back up with all of your card advantage intrinsic creatures your deck just has card advantage just by drafting a normal deck without focusing on it you don't have to pick up card draw spells you can just draft things that have disturb or flashback or whatever else Things that make a clue or do all sorts of stuff, return a, an instant or sorcery from graveyard to hand. All this stuff just gets you value. Yeah, I think when all of your creatures die into almost better creatures in every case, like almost every case they die into better creatures, when you could have that or you could just have creatures that sometimes are one creature and sometimes are another, but that's it. Like you're going to take the creatures that die into more creatures every time. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a little unfortunate. I think... This is actually a reason I would like to go back and draft like OG Innistrad and see how the original flip cards did with original flashback because, mm. you know, we didn't have Disturb and I think that's probably part of it. Like having both Disturb and Flashback is maybe a little too much for the archetypes that don't have either of those two things going on. And like you said, pairing all that card advantage with extremely pushed removal in form of like eaten alive and all these extra decayed tokens floating around. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's pushed for sure. And I, I actually read on Twitter a lot of people mentioning it seems like perhaps and this is more like tinfoil hat kind of stuff, but perhaps because of the cadence of sets coming out and especially with Midnight Hunt and Crimson Val so close together that perhaps they just genuinely didn't have time to test this format well. Like they just they just ran it out and they weren't able to get the testing done they needed. Well, that actually is a real consideration given how many magic sets are coming out these days. I guess we should talk about the undead elephant in the room. Blue, black, and the decayed tokens, right? And I guess along the lines of card advantage, when these things are being used as cards, when you can make your 2-2 decayed zombie into a card in some way, 
whether you are sacrificing it to an effect or actually attacking with it and having the damage be relevant, it's a card. Uh, these these two two decayed zombies can be cards when used correctly. I will say I did call this in the beginning of the set. In order to make the best use of them, have them be real cards in your deck. Don't have them just be these little almost like a food token. Have them be an actual game piece. It doesn't matter if you have to sacrifice your five undead zombies at the end of the turn if your opponent's dead, right? <laughs> like then they were functionally the same as free two twos that come attached to every sort of effect you can imagine. Counter spells, bounce spells, kill spells, three mana 2-2 two, two death touchers. These are cards you would just put in your normal limited deck, and then they just kind of come with this built-in semi-intrinsic card advantage to them. So overall, I'd say kind of faster format than we're used to because of that. These zombies can crack in for damage. I've noticed sometimes you'll feel safe, and then you notice that a turn later your opponent has three zombies, and your only blockers are X-2s. What are you going to do about that? Yeah, and then sometimes I've actually run into the, the problem where I'll look at my board and think, oh, I'm pretty safe. I've got like five creatures. And then I pass the turn and realize, wait, three of those creatures are these two two zombies I can't block. So when they come crashing in with their other stuff, I've got only my two real creatures I can block and I don't even want to block with them. So yeah, sometimes I can get you even on the defensive side. Mm -hmm. It's like we mentioned, black removal is great. Blue bounce is better than normal. Everything else is, you know, fine. I think blue-black is definitely the best archetype, and I wrote down some of the first commons that came to mind, and then I realized I just kept going. <laughs> like, yeah, just the blue good. and black commons are just so good. I think Organ Hoarder is the, the clear like winner uh, of the bunch here. This is just better than Sorol's Packmate, right? Uh, the ability to have card selection, card advantage, and then put stuff in the graveyard? Like, what if you've been a flashback card? This is... Sometimes not that far away from a 4-mana 3-2 draw 2, which is, of oh, course, yeah. just insane. Yeah, in our pre-release, I played an Organ Hoarder that milled into two Disturbed Creatures. And it's just, like, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that is nuts. Other cards to be on the lookout when talking about blue-black specifically. Baithook Angler has been an impressive little 2-drop. Diagraph Horde is just... I mean, it is Grave Titan, right? <laughs> Sometimes it, it even like acts it. a little better than it. Ecstatic Awakener, I've found pretty impressive when you can sacrifice some of these uh, decayed tokens or just something like a novice occultist. Falcon Abomination, great. Flyers tend to be pretty strong in this format, helping to crack in and press that aggressive advantage. Flip the Switch has been better than I'd like to admit it is. Uh, I hate it when counter spells are good, so I guess that's one for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not surprising. And I actually did want to make a comment about Ecstatic, Ecstatic Awakener. We found, actually, I noticed this in pre-release, but I've seen it since then in drafts. Ecstatic Awakener is a card that you can get your opponents with quite a bit. A lot of people will block it as a 1-1, just completely missing that you can activate it at instant speed and sack a 2-2 and turn it into a 4-4. Like we've, We saw people in pre-release trade down a 3-4 for this thing. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't expect to be able to do this for the entirety of the format. No. People will learn eventually. But uh, in the meantime, get them while you can. Uh, a really fun play pattern is attacking with the Ecstatic Awakener and then just something you don't care about. Like maybe right. they don't block either and then you got in for some damage. Maybe it's a decay token and it ends up going away. In that case, I guess you can just let the damage go through from that and then flip it or do the opposite, flip the Awakener before damage. Whatever, I don't know, however willing you are to race at that point, however badly you need that card or the 4-4 body. Some of this stuff, uh, Hoarding Zombie, pretty solid. Siege Zombie, I love this little pinger. And I think we have a pretty strong Draft Trap Hero candidate in Morbid Opportunist. Doesn't Morbid Opportunist just draw like three cards a game? Yeah, it's funny because that card is so good in this format that I completely miss that it only activates once a turn. <laughs> like, I genuinely didn't know it did that because I've seen my opponents draw so many cards from those things. I had a game where I was playing against uh, an opponent and I was, it might have been with that blue-red deck, and I was actually like... Mm -hmm pressing some pressure and doing you know kind of doing my game plan it was working pretty well and then they slammed a morbid opportunist and i was like okay this is fine i need to draw like one of my two removal spells and point it at the morbid opportunist and then we can probably get on with this game but otherwise we're like just stalled out or i'm gonna start losing soon mm -hmm. and then they played a second one and I was like, I genuinely just can't win because <laughs> oh, if I kill man. one opportunist, they draw a card. If I kill anything else, they're drawing two cards. <laughs> like, I can't win.
Yeah, uh, I, I think I remember the first time I played against them with an opportunist. I had a 3-3 Decay token. I might have used, a, what is it, like Crawl from the Cellar or whatever that card is to put a, a counter on it or some other effect. Maybe it was the, the white card that puts counters. Whatever. I had a 3-3 Zombie. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I'm pretty clever. I can just attack through the Morbid Opportunist. Uh, I'll attack. Combat ended. My token died. And they drew a card. Yep. And then I went, oh, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I see the problem. Things just die every turn. The, the tokens die. Sacrifice triggers happen. Combat happens. It's uh, it's limited. Stuff's going to die normally. And we've had cards like this before, but stuff on Innistrad tends to die at a higher rate than stuff on, uh, I don't know, Kaladesh. It's a, a much safer plane to live on. Morbid Opportunist is just nuts. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's kind of interesting. I would have expected a card like this to be a little less impactful in this format because everything in those colors has such good card advantage. But I think because it's just so repeatable, like it triggers on something that, like you said, happens constantly. So the fact that it's just constantly repeating over and over and over, it easily draws you a card a turn. Like that's not even something that you really need to question. It's it's just fantastic. And it actually draws you a card. It's not like you're getting something that's equivalent to a card. You're getting a card. Mm-hmm. I have a lot more to say about this card. I'm going to save it for yes. uh, perhaps a future episode. Anyway, let's chat about the Decayed Tokens. It was pretty hard to evaluate the value of these little dudes for, for a while, but it's become more clear to me that they can contribute a significant amount of damage to an opponent on average. I think it might have been Ben S. that tweeted out that it's almost like players start at 16 life rather than 20 in this format. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's fair. It does seem, it's interesting because it, it, it doesn't really seem to me like an aggressive format in that like players aren't typically going like one drop, two drop, three drop, you're dead. Mm-hmm. But it's like one drop cantrip that makes a two, two that can't block. And then like one other thing that makes another two, two and then diagraph horde and you've got two more two twos and everything just has these little guys tacked on. And so, yeah, I think it, it kind of makes sense that you, you can look at the format as being like everybody starts on 16 or so. I don't know if it's exactly 16, but it kind of feels that way. And Ben S is pretty good with those sorts of numbers and stuff. So maybe I would call it a fast format rather than an aggressive one. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think these zombies tend to be a good thing for aggressive decks. They tend to be a good thing for these tempo-y aggro control kind of not mid-range but kind of the other ends of the spectrum which i think blue black is i mean it gets to play counter spells and also two mana two twos that can attack for a good amount of time i think that the the zombies are like i mentioned good for the aggressive decks but also funnily enough kind of weak in the mirror because this makes it a, a bit of a unique scenario overall this means one of the best things to be doing is attacking and killing your opponent fast but that also means because those tokens can't block, one of the best counterplays to this is also attacking and getting in fast and killing your opponent before they can make use of their zombies. So I, I've actually really liked right, white-red uh, in counterplay against blue-black because sometimes your creatures are just higher value. You can get in under their, their take-over-the-game four drops and five drops before they play their organ hoarders. You can just go one, two, three, pump spell, kill spell, you're dead. Yeah, that's another reason why I really like Thermo Alchemist in those decks specifically. Like, white-red Thermo is not really something I think people expect to see, but uh, I know you've had a really good example of that deck, and it blocks the Decay tokens perfectly. And then it's also, in it, you know, enabling your game plan of pinging them down and getting getting damage through, so. Yeah, I found the red spells package pretty impressive. Spellrune Painter, people that aren't interested just won't take it. Uh, but it's a very good aggressive card. It pairs really well with combat tricks. And on the front, it is a human, which uh, makes it pair very well with the uh, the two-mana spell that gives humans plus three, plus three, and indestructible. Sometimes a board can look clogged up, like you mentioned, but then you realize, wait a minute, uh, that thing can't block, that thing can't block, uh, that thing's too small to block, that thing has two toughness, so it probably isn't going to block. And there's a good number of flyers that you know bounce around here and there, some very strong instant speed removal. I think, on average, you and your opponent are closer to being dead than you both think. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a nice way to sum it up. Everybody's closer to death than they think at basically all points of the game. So tokens, obviously great for sacrificing, but also pretty good for little micro synergies throughout the set, uh, making Ghoulish Procession a pretty good build around. Now, weirdly enough for a build around, I don't know if it's necessarily one you want to build around and like take early and build around. Definitely one that you can see pick four or five and go, oh, I have some things that pair with this. Now I'll pick it up. And definitely later in, in like packs two and three. 
more of an opportunist obviously the combo here you just draw a card whenever one of your little decayed dudes or one of theirs dies uh, i really like the interaction of zombies with grizzly ghoul and diagraph rebirth those are the black green uncommons you can pretty much set up these turns where you swing with like three of them and wind up with a huge payoff uh, i actually did get to cast diagraph rebirth for two mana once it was awesome that's sick the interaction with flesh taker is kind of cool you can sack them to Flesh Taker, you know, for obvious value, turning Flesh Taker into this uh, kind of Nantuko Husk style card that can just kill them out of nowhere. But if you just attack them with the normal ones and then have the zombies die or don't even attack with Flesh Taker, Flesh Taker still triggers off of the sacrifice effect. So you still get that strut, that scry and gain a life. I had one opponent who ended up with like five or six tokens and a Flesh Taker. It was a brutal game for me to navigate. Yeah, and I know, you know, they do kind of work a bit with the, the vampires. You just kind of throw them into combat, and a lot of times people aren't blocking them because they're either not worth blocking or you don't have creatures that are big enough to block them profitably and they're just dying anyway, so what difference does it make? Uh, but it's good for the vampires deck because, you know, those those cards, a lot of them tend to care about whether or not your opponent lost life this turn, so, you know, they can be a decent enabler for that. I found that that archetype in particular is a little bit harder to actually get that trigger on than I first anticipated, because you want this high, like, high concentration of vampires, and a lot of the cards in that deck, outside of, like, some of the specific black ones, don't really make the decayed tokens that often, so I found that deck to be a little bit difficult to put together, but maybe I just haven't really found the pieces. Yeah, I also haven't been super impressed by, by vampires, but one thing I have been slightly more impressed by is life gain. So kind of in a flavor win, life gain seems to be one of the better ways to fight against the encroaching zombie horde. Instant of life gain has just seemed good. I like Rise of the Ants when that thing has two extra life tacked on. When you get to cast it and then flash it back, you feel like no zombies are getting through your, your giant ant army, right? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Those things are massive. And that extra little life gain just kind of stabilizes you. There was a little bit of a Twitter debate about Lunark Veteran and why it was putting up such good numbers on 17 lands. I think it's actually pretty solid. Am I taking it highly? No. Am I proud to put it in a deck? Not particularly. But I do think that life gain, if this little one drop gains you like four or five life, then yeah, it's doing what you want because these tokens do benefit from the fact that people are functionally starting with a little less life from, from just the presence of these easy-to-deal-damage-to-opponent effects. I guess they are kind of like anti-food tokens. A little bit, yeah. All right, so we wanted to talk about some deck vectors as well. Obviously, we've said enough about blue-black. We can kind of table that one for a little bit. A little bit of a comment on red-green, and then we wanted to talk about a couple of ways to combat blue-black because there are ways to go to go against it successfully. But... Yeah, red-green, a little bit of a disappointment here, right? It's It can be a good deck if it's really open and you get some of the, like, Tovalar and some of those, like, beefier uncommons and rares that really make that deck tick. But with all this ridiculously efficient removal in black and pretty much no card advantage intrinsically in those colors, it can be really hard to get ahead of your opponent with the green-red deck. Yeah, turns out if you can just keep chumping these, I don't know, non-trampling massive beaters, you can usually just take over the game. <laughs> I actually found that corpse cobbling together a nice 7-7 or 8-8 will usually just stonewall any red-green deck. And like, what are they going to do about it? There's a handful of spells that can get them over the top. The X and a red pump spell is one that comes to mind. But I once played blue-black against what I believed to be a very strong red-green deck. I corpse cobbled together a 10-10 and the game just ended. <laughs> they, they had, uh, I think, uh, four or five werewolves on the other side. I was at like 10 life and I had a few other blockers. They just couldn't get through me. And eventually I just took over. Yeah, I think that's going to happen. I mean, they pretty much, as you said, they have the, the X-Red spell that pumps creatures. Then they have Hunter's Mark on like one of their eight sevens or something that hopefully get big enough to kill one of your things. But that really is it. I mean, they, there's no unconditional removal in those two colors. Hopefully... Because we know draft draft is self correcting. Hopefully, as more people are getting on that train to Busan, we will see uh, <laughs> see some folks open up a little bit more for this deck. Like maybe we can see some trophies with red green. But yeah, it's a little disappointing in a set that's supposed to be basically designed around the red green deck. Who knows? Maybe the best red green cards are coming in the vampire themed set. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past them at this point. Who knows? Now, as far as defeating the rising zombie tide, 
Uh, I actually prefer the other two Naya color combinations. The best deck I've had in the format was Red White. And I'll admit it was a pretty unique one. But I have seen Red White aggro do some pretty impressive things. We've seen some solid Red White trophies in the Discord, haven't we? Uh, mm -hmm. Now, my deck, I think, was supplemented by that, you know, the 4-4 Mythic Dragon. That, that thing did a little bit of work and a little bit of the heavy lifting. But even in the games where I didn't see any of my higher rarity stuff, I found Red White to be just fine. Uh, it turns out when early stuff can't block very productively... And these zombies come to, they tend to come attached to these, what would otherwise be slightly overcosted spells. You are kind of free to just start beating down on turn two, three, four. I know, just smacking it with some Candlegrove Witches, Spellrune Painter. I, I had a turn five kill with my deck. <laughs> like, you can just close it out before they can take over. Also, zombies can't block. That's very real. Some of the one drops are pretty playable. I would say Voldaren Stinger, Lunark Veteran, Chaplain of Alms have been some of my favorites. Uh, Ecstatic Awakener, if you happen to be in black, have all been pretty solid. So you can actually play stuff on turn one and just start turning it sideways. Yeah, seems like a solid way to combat that deck, especially because, as you say, most of the zombies can't block. And a good way to get around all that incidental card advantage is just kill your opponent quick. And then Green-White also has some room to shine while Blue-Black's doing its thing and kind of being the center of attention can dump a ton of counters all over the place, and getting Coven has actually been pretty decent. You mentioned the Candlegrove Witches. I mean, turning your, your two-mana two-twos into flyers. Flying Bears are pretty good, and uh, especially in this format where there aren't a ton of flying blockers at cheap mana values, uh, it, it's you know it's a good way to get, get your opponent dead quick and kind of just make combat a bit trickier in the mid-game uh, than the red-white versions of this deck. And, and the red-white versions can put Coven together pretty well, too. So we want to go over a few miscellaneous notes, although admittedly we have fewer this time around. I think people are really starting to get a hang of the format. And I think while Blue Black has written uh, risen above the, the tides as the clear archetype of choice here, you can still play other things. And, you know, I'll admit I've been maybe not forcing, but soft forcing Blue Black a little bit. So I still need some practice with a lot of the other archetypes to really dig into the micro synergies there. Uh, so a two-card combo that I recommend, uh, a blue card and a black card, those tend to pair pretty well in this format. B but actually, Ardent Elementalist, like I mentioned, I've really liked with Moonrager Slash. I found that to be a pretty cool way of just, you know, dealing a bunch of damage, killing some relevant threats. Plus, you need to find your card advantage in the non-blue and black colors. Elementalist is a cool way to do it. You can combine Morbid Opportunist and literally any removal spell. That will work out pretty well for you. You can do Siege Zombie and two other creatures. That works out pretty... Oh, man. This list might not be my best work. <laughs> uh, do you want to read the next one? I don't oh, know if yeah, I can this, say it with a straight face. <laughs> this is the best of the bunch. Um, so this is a hard one to put together. Uh, it does involve a Mythic. But uh, Meat Hook Massacre and Lands is probably the best combo <laughs> in the game. So, Yeah, yeah, that one will get you far. And uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to read the last one. It's not worth saying. <laughs> uh, but, but actually, I, I do have one actual note. Um, there's a handful of first strikers in this format, particularly the, uh, the little one mana, one one red uh, Voldaren Stinger. That's it. It pairs pretty well with Blade Brand which I wouldn't say is a great card, even if you are attacking pretty frequently with these Decayed tokens. Bladebrand still isn't usually what you want to do. It can get blown out. Not that they're going to point or kill spell at your zombie too often, but there's other ways of blowing it out, giving it like minus minus power or something. Things can go wrong with it. But I have like the little combo of First Strike and Death Touch. That's always one to keep an eye out for. Well, that's it. That, that's, that's kind of our thoughts on the format for now. Uh, we have only had a week with it, but you know we're, we're getting our reps in and um, hopefully we see a little bit of diversity pop up soon I, i'm hoping this isn't a repeat of afr's red black where it's just like that's all you're seeing constantly and well you're not going to see anything else and if you're drafting anything else you probably did it wrong hopefully it corrects and we see some of these other decks actually uh get some spotlight too but i do enjoy the the blue black deck it's kind of what i love to do in magic so i'm not terribly disappointed about it i just would like to see a little bit more balance in any case, if you want to talk more about this format, check out our Discord. Again, the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page, and uh, we'd love to have you over there. If you want to support us, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. We really, really, really appreciate it. We really can't thank our patrons enough for all of your support. And again, if you're in that Squadron Hawk tier, ship us your, your draft logs. Let's get some uh, Draft Doctor videos going. And uh, kind of, it's, it's kind of like coaching, you know, is, is how we're handling it, but... Um, 
a little bit more asynchronous than the typical coaching session. So if you want some thoughts on your drafts from us in video form, uh, yeah, send those over. We have, again, we have a specific channel for that in the discord. So, um, all the details on the page around there. So check that out. And then if you want to reach out to us on social media, you can find us both on Twitter. You can find me at Rannick Alfredian and you can find Ben at beta fish one and the podcast at draft chaff pod. Thanks folks. And we'll talk to you next week. See ya. So it's officially spooky season. I think the, the oncoming of this set has has really solidified that in my mind. So I need to have a very controversial talk with you about something that's near and dear to my heart. Oh, boy. How do you feel about pumpkin spice? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> just as a concept, as a phrase, as a, what are we talking here? Uh, you could go from everything from the cultural ramifications of Karen's ordering pumpkin spice lattes <laughs> to the actual taste itself. Okay, well, um, I love the meme. We'll go there. Like with the, the as you mentioned, the Karens ordering their lattes. I think that's hilarious. And I, I saw actually, I think it was an, an MTG personality. I can't remember who it was exactly on Twitter mentioned like, I did my my part as a white woman in America. I bought a pumpkin spice <laughs> latte today. Um, so it's 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 a funny joke. I, I like the the gag with that. Um, I do actually quite like the flavor. Um, I have this this strong memory of. Uh, when I was a kid, my mom would make this spice cake, which was not really pumpkin-y, but it was, it was like the spice part of pumpkin spice, uh, a lot of nutmeg and things like that. And, um, when we would get off the bus as kids in middle school, you could smell it down the street from like wow. my, my house. It was like one of those weird things where like the wind would kind of carry the scent and my sister and I would get off the bus and be like, oh, mama eats spice cake again. Like, you know, it's like one of those cool things. So it, it does have a kind of a dear space in my heart. I love the smells associated with pumpkin and all of those spices that are used as well. So yeah, I mean, I'm with it. I'm just not, I'm just not, I drink my coffee black, so I'm not going out to get a pumpkin spice latte anytime soon. Now, as my girlfriend would gladly say, uh, I have very little taste when it comes to most foods. I could eat like some pretty bland stuff and be like, yeah, I'm fine with this, which uh, <laughs> is is a personal thing. I don't really care. Uh, it's just kind of how I do things. Makes cooking pretty easy for me. Uh, how, however, I do appreciate when something has a lot of time and effort and thought put into it, which pumpkin spice isn't necessarily. Um, that being said, pumpkin spice is my all-time favorite flavor. I will inject that stuff into my goddamn veins. Just like <laughs> shoot it into me. I will take as much pumpkin spice as physically possible. Uh, thing is, uh, sometimes it does kind of get memed into oblivion or, or joked about and all this stuff. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I'll, I'll suffer the memes. Maybe that makes me uh, uh, a Karen. <laughs> but I, I'm sitting next to a pumpkin spice candle. I have uh, three jugs of apple cider, spiced, of course, in my fridge. Uh, the fall flavors and scents are, are absolutely my favorite. Um, I've had a pumpkin spice air fresher that I use year round. That's how, how, how hard I go on this. 